as has been said, uh, Happy Easter. <laughs> it's, uh, it's an Easter Sunday that we will never forget, uh, nor will we forget uh, what these last several weeks have been like, and also realizing that right now, on Easter Sunday of 2020, uh, we're not out of the woods yet, and we're praying that God will bring about uh, blessing and healing uh, of our land and of our world. But it is a uh, it is a different feel. It's a different kind of of Easter Sunday. We still celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord, with great joy and with great hope. Uh, hopefully, you're able to spend today with some of your close family uh, and friends, perhaps if not in person, then at least uh, electronically, and are able to share in this Easter Sunday. Um, for the first time in over 30 years, our church family, the West Irwin Church of Christ, does not have a significant number of our young people and families in Dallas, Texas, uh, for leadership training for Christ. And that's uh, heartbreaking. Uh, of course, we are in an empty auditorium as we record this today. Uh, but we will get a little taste of some of our children in just a little bit during this service as we'll see some of those happy faces, and, and it'll be a, a wonderful moment singing Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, along with them as we watch them and their various activities and events that we've shared with them over these last uh, few years in our church family. But all of that being said, it is, um, it is a time that is unlike any other Easter season that any of us can remember. And so as we continue through this month of April, uh, continuing to look at the words from the cross, those great statements that Jesus shared as he hung there dying for our sins, today brings about uh, a special note, a, a note of thanksgiving and gratitude and promise and faith and confession, and hope, and forgiveness. And it's recorded in Luke chapter 23, and only in Luke 23, beginning at verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, there's so much about that passage, again, only found in Luke's Account. The others report that there were criminals crucified along with Jesus, but no one shares this story of one man's repentance and forgiveness and of the promise of resurrection and paradise and life. And yet Luke gives us that. And there are so many things associated with this passage, and we won't have time or make an attempt to discuss them all this morning as we share these thoughts from Luke chapter 23. 
There's that whole idea of what happens when you die, what happens when a faithful person dies, and where exactly is this paradise, and is there a place where the evil go, and is there a place where the righteous go after death before Jesus returns? I think that's a great, great study, Uh, but it's not our study um, today. If you have questions about that, feel free to send me a note through email or through Facebook. But there's also some other things associated with this great passage. And we've talked about the thief on the cross and this promise of Jesus, this forgiveness that's offered to him. In years past, we've used it to argue about uh, what a person does to respond to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in order to be saved. And I want us to think about that for just a moment and consider what this passage tells us about the response of faith. The response of faith is made possible only because of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that makes any response uh, possible. But because Jesus did die on the cross that day, and because he was buried, and because God did raise him from the grave, on the third day. There is hope, there is promise, and there is a response of faith. And so let's consider the thief's forgiveness first of all, and then take a look at some of the other teaching in the New Testament. The thief's forgiveness, let's get to it in Luke 23, and look at a couple of other examples in the Gospel of Luke. First of all, in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, that's the story of these very faithful men who brought their friend to Jesus. He was paralyzed, and, and he was uh, being carried by them. And when they got there to the house where Jesus was, it was so full they couldn't get in, and so they took him up on the roof, and they... Uh, carved a way to get through the roof and to lower this man on his mat down to Jesus. And before Jesus healed him and gave him the ability to walk, he told him this, your sins are forgiven. Very similar to what he told the thief on the cross. And then a couple of chapters later in Luke chapter 7 is this incident where Jesus is at the home of a man named Simon who was a Pharisee. And and there's a sinful woman, we don't even know her name, but there's a sinful woman who comes in and, and she washes Jesus' feet with her tears. And she dries them with her hair. And then she anoints them with oil. And Jesus looks at this woman and he tells her the same thing. Your sins are forgiven. And then we go to Luke 23 and the thief on the cross. When Jesus tells the man because of his heart of penitence, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say that exact thing in Luke's gospel, but what he does tell him is today. You'll be with me in paradise. So all of these accounts tell us something. They tell us that while Jesus walked on this earth as a man, as Jesus of Nazareth, he had the authority to forgive sins. In fact, that's why he gave that man the ability to walk, to demonstrate that he had not spoken blasphemy, 
but that as the Son of God, he had authority to forgive sins. And when he forgave that sinful woman, it was the same thing. And when he promised that thief, Jesus still alive, still ministering in this world, had the authority to tell that man, today you will be with me in paradise. And so I think what the thief's forgiveness tells us is it affirms the sovereignty and the authority of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Here's what I believe about that. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and I believe that Jesus, the Son of God, has the authority and the sovereignty to forgive whoever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. I'm not going to be one of those rebellious children that calls that into question, saying, that's not fair, or some other statement. I'm going to let Jesus be who he is, the Son of God. And I'm going to consider what the Bible says, and the Bible says that Jesus had authority to forgive sins, and he did. And he did. And so I believe the thief was forgiven, just like that man who was paralyzed, just like that sinful woman who anointed Jesus. I believe his sins were forgiven, and I believe that that day when they both died, they were together, Jesus and that thief, that criminal. They were both together in paradise. But what about the rest of the New Testament? What about the New Testament teaching concerning the church? And how does all of this affect and help us today? Well, in Matthew 16, Jesus clearly says, I will build my church on the rock, this confession that Peter had just made that he was the son of God. And so as Jesus was living, the church was still in the future. He had disciples, he had followers, but the church had not been uh, started yet. And then we hear those great passages in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus calls on them to go out and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, continuing to teach them everything that he had taught them, and that he would be with us to the very end of the age. In Mark chapter 16, go out and preach the gospel to every creature under heaven, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. In Luke 24, Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem until they are given that Holy Spirit, given that power from on high that David Keene shared as we began our service today. And he tells them to wait there, and at that time when they are empowered by the Spirit, repentance and remission of sins will be taught in the name of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Even during his life in John chapter 3, as Jesus interacted with one of the rulers of the Jews, Nicodemus, he told him, you too must be born again of water and the Spirit. Speaking of the baptism that Jesus and his disciples was preaching, were preaching the baptism that John and his disciples preached, a baptism of repentance. And yet the Jewish leaders would not accept that. Well, when we turn to the book of Acts, we see the church beginning. We see for the first time the church spoken of in the present. As Peter makes that great speech and that great sermon and the others are preaching and they've been given the power of the Holy Spirit and people are amazed at what they're seeing and what they're hearing. And Peter makes 
makes it very clear that God has made this thing, Jesus, whom they had crucified, both Lord and Christ, or Messiah. And it worked. They were cut to the heart. They were convicted of their sin. And they ask, what do we do? What do we do? What is the response of faith for us? They are already believing, and yet there was still things for them to do. And Peter responds and says, repent, which means change. Change your life. Turn away from that life of sin. Get on a different path. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Luke goes on to record in Acts 2, verse 41, that 3,000 were baptized that day, that Pentecost day, less than two months after Jesus had been killed and had been raised. And the church was off and running. It had begun. And the gospel and the response of faith were being shared. In Acts chapter 8, Philip, who was one of those seven men chosen uh, to do the work of the Lord, In Acts chapter 6, to help the church minister to those in need, especially the widows. Philip is called to go down to Samaria, that region, just north of Judea in Jerusalem. And to minister to them and to preach the gospel to them. And many of the Samaritans were baptized, it says in Acts 8, verses 12 and 13. And then later the Spirit calls him to go join himself to a chariot, where an Ethiopian official is reading from Isaiah 53. And Philip does that, and he speaks to him, starting at that scripture, teaches him about Jesus. And as they go along, the Ethiopian is the one who sees some water. And he says, hey, what's keeping me from being baptized? He confesses his faith, and Philip and the man go down into the water, and he's baptized. And the Spirit takes Philip away, but the Ethiopian goes on his way rejoicing. In Acts 16, on the second mission journey, as we call it, Paul and Silas and Timothy are called to go into Europe and and they're there in that Roman colony of Philippi and they go to a place that looks like it's a place of prayer and sure enough some women gather there and are praying and they preach the gospel to them and Lydia and her family are baptized into Jesus Christ. Later when Paul and Silas are in jail in Philippi they are singing praises and hymns to God and um As it happens, God sends an earthquake and delivers them, and yet they don't run because they're concerned for the souls of of the ones that are there, including the jailer who had authority over them. And he throws himself at their feet when he realizes they're not going to leave, and they keep him from committing suicide, and and he asks them, what must I do to be saved? And they tell him, you've got to believe. You've got to believe. And he takes them to his house and they preach to him about Jesus and they preach to him about the response of faith. And the very same hour of that night, that man and his family are baptized into Jesus Christ. They had come to faith, Luke says. They had come to believe. In Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus, who had been trying to destroy the church, is confronted by the resurrected Jesus Christ. And when he asks, what do I do, believing in his heart that what he was seeing was true, he is told to go into the city of Damascus, and he does. And he prays and fasts for three days, clearly penitent. And when a Christian by the name of Ananias comes to him, he tells him that you need to be baptized and wash your sins away in Acts 22. And just as Donnie Carnathan shared as we gathered around the table, and he said, 
What can wash away my sins? Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. That is exactly right. But because Jesus died on the cross, because Jesus shed his blood, because that tomb is empty, there is something that we can do. There is an answer to that question that the jailer asked, that the people at the day of Pentecost asked, that Saul of Tarsus asked. And the answer is to respond in faith and to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and wash your sins away. And Saul of Tarsus did that and would become the great apostle Paul. In Romans chapter 6 and Colossians 2, baptism is linked forever with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. As we die to sin and are buried with Christ through baptism into death and are raised to live a new life. In Titus 3, looking back to that passage with Nicodemus in John 3, Paul talks to Titus about reminding everyone about the washing of rebirth and renewal through the Holy Spirit that they had experienced. And in 1 Peter 3, the Apostle Peter links baptism to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and says, now baptism saves us. Just like the water saved Noah and his family in the days long, long ago. That saves us. That baptism now saves us, not by itself, but because of the death and the burial and the resurrection, the blood of Jesus Christ. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing, how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. I heard about that story. I heard about all of the things he has given us. And then I obeyed his blessed commands. And I too won the victory in Jesus. This is the critical teaching of the gospel and the response of faith today. And obviously I feel very strongly about that and I think it needs to be preached. And I think we do that with great humility and with great consideration and with great respect for others who may not see it as we see it. But that's the gospel that we read, and that's the response of faith that the Bible teaches in the days of the church, and that's what we have sought to obey. But let's not miss the point of Luke's account of this thief on the cross, because I don't think that's the point. I think it's important for us to remind ourselves about it. But that's not Luke's point. Let's not miss his point. What is that point? His point is the promise of forgiveness. That thief, when he turned his heart to Jesus, was forgiven. That's the point of that story. When we think of King David and his adultery and his deceit and his having Bathsheba's husband killed in battle because he was the king, he could do such things. And then married her after the period of mourning so that they could hide the fact that they had a child while she was still married to Uriah, her husband. And yet David was reminded that God has seen and God has rejected that part of David's life. And yet David repented and was forgiven. We think of the apostle Peter and how he was warned by Jesus, you're going to deny me three times. And he very proudly said, no way, even if everybody else does, I won't. And yet he did and was ultimately forgiven. And we think of that man, Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, who would call himself in 1 Timothy 1, the worst of sinners, the chief of sinners, and yet God forgave him. 
What is the point of Luke's story? It's the promise of forgiveness, not just to the thief, not just to others, but the promise of forgiveness to me and to you. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus gave his life on the cross. Because of that, we have the promise of forgiveness. And because there is a response of faith and because there is a promise of forgiveness, there is the hope of resurrection. And that's what so many around the world are celebrating today. And we're thankful for that. And we hope that this message goes everywhere all the time. Because of the gospel, there is a response of faith. Because of the response of faith, there is the promise of forgiveness. Because of the promise of forgiveness, there is the hope of resurrection. And the hope of resurrection is the empty tomb. All four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all talk about the crucifixion of Jesus, all talk about the resurrection and the empty tomb. The passage that Donnie read from earlier in 1 Corinthians 15 reminds us that we have that resurrection and because of that we have hope and so we live our lives faithfully knowing that that life is not in vain because of the hope of resurrection. 2 Corinthians 5 looks acknowledges that today we live by faith, not by sight, and in these times it's especially hard, but it looks ahead to the time when this mortal will be given over to immortality. And we will live with God forever. For those who had seen their loved ones pass away and miss the coming of Christ. Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians 4 that when the trumpet sounds and the angel shouts that the dead in Christ will rise first. Then all of us who are alive at his coming will meet the Lord in the air. The Apostle Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course I have kept the faith so there's a crown of life waiting for me and not just for me but for everyone who has longed for that appearing of Jesus Christ Jesus himself said in John 5 there will be one resurrection at that day the good will be raised to life and the evil will be raised to be punished and he says I have come so that they might have life As he talked to his friends, Mary and Martha and John 11, who had lost their brother, shortly before he raised him from the dead, Jesus pronounced, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who lives and believes in me will live even though they die. And in John 14, we read these great words that we'll sing about in just a moment. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We will look forward to that day when Jesus returns and we will look forward to that mansion over the hilltop. And it's there that we will be with that thief. It's there we will be with people of faith throughout the ages. It's there that we too will be with Jesus in paradise. I've got a mansion. 
just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old and someday yonder we'll never more ponder but walk the streets that are filled with gold.